Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. August, and one of the things we've been doing in this series is showing the tactics of the enemy. Satan only has five tactics, which we saw in Mark chapter 4. And we'll review them again in just a moment. But through those tactics, he tries to do different things in our lives. And one of the things, if you go back and look at the series in its entirety, you'll understand that I've taught you how to wage spiritual warfare and win in the everyday life. A lot of people think that spiritual warfare is just in prayer. That's part of it. Or just things in the second heaven or the heavenlies, and that's part of it. Things dealing with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world, that's part of it. But some of the way it manifests in your everyday life are some of the things we've covered in this series. Offense. Anger, anxiety, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, pride, insecurities, discouragement, and where we're going today, those are some tactics that Satan uses against you every single day. And the thing is, they look so normal, you don't realize it's warfare. And we had a prayer conference yesterday, and one of my brothers said that the warfare in the United States is to make you believe that there is no warfare. And so we see all these things as normal, part of the human condition, and we don't realize it's warfare against us. And you have to learn how to deal with these things. So Mark chapter 4, one of the most important parables of the Bible, and Jesus begins to interpret it in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Why? They heard the word. So they did the first part. It was good. You should hear the word. But they didn't receive it, which means to take it. So they heard it, but they didn't take it. They heard it like, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know if it applies to it today. You know, it's 2019. I don't know if I really want to believe that. They heard it, but they didn't take it. See, Satan can, comes to steal the word. That's why he comes. But he can't steal from everybody. He can steal from this group. But if you remember the story of Mary and Martha, when they were all, Jesus and his crew and his followers were over Mary and Martha's house, and Martha, you know, she had that serving gift, that hospitality gift. But she allowed that gift to get out of whack and became full of anxiety because she was serving so many people. And Jesus was teaching, sharing revelation truth, and Martha stands over Jesus, interrupts the message, and begins to tell Jesus what to do. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried or anxious about many things. But your sister Mary here, she has chosen the good part. What is that? Receiving the word. And that part will not be taken from her. Wait a minute. Is Jesus going to take the word away from her? No. Who comes to take the word? Satan. So Jesus just identified someone Satan couldn't take the word from. But Martha, by implication, had already had the word stolen from her because of her anxiety. They're all in the same room, hearing the word preach the word. Not just a messenger of the word preached the word. The word was preaching the word. But Martha, within moments, lost it. Satan was able to steal it from her because of her anxiety. So just because you hear the word doesn't mean you receive it. And so you look at the next group, 
And so these are likewise who are sown on stony ground. When they have heard the word, immediately they receive it. So, ooh, they did better than the first group. They received it. They took it. They received it with gladness. That word gladness means with a shout. So when they heard the word, they believed it, they received it, and they began to rejoice and celebrate and praise God. But the thing is, they didn't let that word make real difference in their life. They didn't let it go down deep and change the condition of their heart. Because they have no root in themselves, so they endure but for a time. So cool, it lasted for a little while. They held on to that word for a little while. But afterward, when affliction, which we define as pressure brought by circumstance, or persecution, pressure brought by people. And we're talking about persecution. A lot of times we hear that word, we think about the extreme forms of persecution. We think about persecution being used to take away a believer's life for their stand for the gospel. That is persecution at the highest form or the extreme form. We've seen that throughout history. We see that in some places of the world today. That is true, but there are also several levels of persecution, and it's any pressure brought by people to make you back away from the word. Now, you have to be careful because there's some in the news media who will tell you, no, this is not persecution. Persecution is only when you lose your life. So what they're doing is discrediting all the pressure that they bring and make you think it's normal. What are they doing? They're hiding a lot of Satan's tactic and said it's only persecution if they try to kill you. So what, you know what happens? You'll ignore all the other pressure brought by people until they try to shoot you. And they say, oh, persecution, I showed them. No, it's been building the whole time. So notice it says affliction, pressure brought by circumstance, and persecution, pressure brought by people, arises for the word's sake. So trial, pressure, tribulation, circumstances do not come to make you strong. Satan does not send pressure your way to make your faith, your faith strong. He doesn't send pressure your way to make you a faith champion. He sends pressure your way to take the word from you. And so the pressure comes, and there immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. So they hear and they receive it, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke or crowd out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So one of the things we talk about in this parable and in this series and at other times, there are different types of sowers in the word. God is a sower. Those who preach his word sow his word. But it also tells us that Satan is a sower. What does he sow? Seeds of cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. But it also talks about you are a sower. You can sow into your own heart. And so here we see the seeds Satan sows, cares of this world, anxiety, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. So he sowed those weeds into the heart. But notice, it didn't say the word wasn't there. It said the word grew. But when the word grew, so did the anxiety. So did the deceitfulness of riches. So did the lust of other things. And one of the things we said about the word growing uh, in the previous weeks is that if the good plant grows and there are weeds, the weeds will take the nutrients the main plant needs and will cause the main plant to be disfigured, discolored, diseased, unbalanced, and open to infestation. So there's some people who have diseased and unbalanced Christianity, not because they never received the word, but they also have anxiety, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. And see, it says it grew up and crowded out the word or choked the word and made it unfruitful. It didn't say the word was no longer there. The word is still in their hearts, but it's not producing for them. See, a lot of people say, well, I've been in this word for so long, you know, I've been in faith so long, but this word stuff doesn't work, this faith stuff doesn't work, this word of faith doesn't work. No, it works. But in addition to working the word, you've been working some anxiety. 
You've been working some deceitfulness of riches. You've been working some lust of other things, and those have crowded out the word. So now the word's there, but it's not producing for you, even though you have the word. And so those five tactics, affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, we looked at them in detail. Those are Satan's tactics to stop the word from working in your life. And so we're going to hone in once again on cares of this world. You know, we define care as worry, anxiety that distracts. The seeds of care are seeds that the enemy seeks to sow to distract you. So if care is coming, if worry is coming, the purpose is to distract you. So if he's going to distract you, that means there's something you should be focusing on, but he tries to get you focused on something else. So anything connected to the cares of this world is connected to distraction. And so one of the things we looked at two weeks ago is insecurities is defined as anxiety about yourself. So when he brings up insecurities, it's to distract you. And one of the things I shared earlier this year, if Satan is distracting you, he's stealing from you. Because remember the Bible says he's a thief. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That word thief is not talking about a robber, someone who breaks in and steals by force. That word for thief means a pickpocket. The art of the pickpocket is not taken by force, it's taken by distraction, where there's a small bump or a small distraction, and you look over here, and they take your wallet. So when Satan steals, when he comes at you, it's not all in the front. Because if he came at some of you Christians, because you know the word, you know your authority, so up front, you would know how to resist him. Like, oh, this is an attack of the enemy. I have the name of Jesus. I have the blood of Jesus. And you would handle him because you see him coming. But he's a pickpocket. So he'll do all these different things to steal from you, and you don't know you're being stolen from. And then you'll make up some religious doctrine or dogma saying, well, God just wants me to live this way. No. He's a pickpocket. He is after distraction. Remember, he's the deceiver. Deception is what he masters in. All to make you look somewhere you're not supposed to look. Because if you're looking in the wrong place, you'll miss what God has for you. Now, I believe it's Jeremiah 17 that talks about those who trust in the Lord and don't lean to the arm of the flesh, they will not see when he cometh. It didn't say it won't come, and it says they won't see it. But those who lean on the arm of the flesh won't see when good comes. It didn't say good won't come, and it says they won't see it. Why? They're looking in the wrong place. So that means good can come your way, and you don't get it because you're looking in the wrong place. We'll walk into a season of open doors, of dreams coming to pass and visions being fulfilled, and you may not see it if you look in the wrong because you are distracted. Go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Are you distracted? God's got stuff for you to do, but if you're distracted, you won't do it. See, feelings and thoughts of insecurity are part of Satan's tactic of the cares of this world. And things people look like, well, you know, insecurity is just normal. You know, everybody has insecurities. Watch what you call normal. Watch what you put up with. 
Because just why everyone else has it doesn't mean you have to have it. Come on, didn't, didn't once you told as a kid, don't you tell your children, just because everyone else does it doesn't mean you need to do it? You know, sometimes I think God wants to look at us and say, same a thing. You correcting your child and God saying like they were like, will you listen to your own advice? Just because it's in the world doesn't need to be, mean to be in your life. We don't allow insecurities so they develop. It will keep you from doing what God has called you to do. We looked at last week, in the last two weeks, we talked about the difference of insecurity and pride. So I encourage you, if you missed last week's message, we define what pride is, and we define what humility is. But the Bible says, don't think more highly about yourself than you ought. It didn't say, don't think highly of yourself. It says, more highly than you ought. What's the difference? When you think of yourself more highly than you ought, you will look down on people. You're supposed to have healthy self-esteem. You're supposed to think highly of yourself. Why? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because when you critique yourself and say, oh, I'm not that good, I'm not that good of a creation, you know, I'm so stupid, I'm so this, I'm so that, who are you to talk bad about God's creation? Because you're not just talking about bad about yourself, you're talking about your creator. Psalm 25, verse 4. And so this will be the foundation of the next series we're going to go into. And I'm using this end of the series as a transition point. Psalm 25, verse 4 and verse 12, New Living Translation. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Verse 12, who are those who fear or reverence the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. If you reverence God, God will show you the path you should choose. As we get into this series, I'll show you have a covenant right to know God's path for your life. Notice I said no, not guess. Any time in the gospel that you see Jesus wake up and says, I guess we're going to Nazareth today, or I guess we're going to hang out in Galilee, or I guess we'll go to Jerusalem, or I guess we'll go to Capernaum, no. He'll say, we're going here because this is where I am sent. Guessing is not part of your package. Guessing is not part of your covenant. You are redeemed from guessing. It says walk in the spirit, not stumble, not feel around. Walk. God has a path for your life. God has steps for you to follow. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God has some steps for you to follow. You have to follow the path God has for you. And that's where we're getting into the next series, showing you specifically how to follow that path. But before we even get to that series, Satan will try to use affliction, persecution, and cares of this world to produce fear in your life, to get you off the path God has for you, and put you on the path to the dark side. Because if Satan wants to get you off this path, he has another path for you. And understand this, fear is an enemy. Fear is not your friend. Fear is an enemy. So let me give you a few definitions. Dread means to anticipate with great apprehension or fear. Intimidate means to frighten, especially in order to make them do what one wants. You have to understand Satan tries to intimidate you. He seeks to frighten you so that you do what he wants. Terrorize is defined as to create and maintain a state of extreme fear and distress in someone. It means to fear, fill with terror. Terror is extreme fear. Satan is a terrorist. And the thing is, you don't start out in terror. You might start out with a little of timidity or a little fear here that you're allowed. But the old church phrase goes, if you give Satan an inch, he will take a country mile. 
And so you allow little fear in. Eventually, you'll be intimidated, and then you'll be terrorized and paralyzed with fear. So let's talk about this. Fear is an enemy. And I'll back it up with some more statements. Fear came into the world the same time sin did. Genesis 3.10 says, And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Fear came into the world the same time sin did. This fear coupled with shame caused Adam to hide from God. Satan will use affliction, pressure brought by circumstance, and persecution, pressure brought by people, to produce fear in your lives and make you hide from God's purpose for your life. What are you hiding from today? Because you are afraid. Or what are you hiding from? Because you're saying, like, Pastor, you don't know all the sin and mistakes I did. I thought Jesus paid the price for that. Anything Jesus bore, it's your job to resist. And it says he bore your shame. So that shame doesn't belong to you. Fear and shame will make you hide. Are you hiding from God's, ba- uh, God's best for your life? Because you're afraid? Fear is an enemy. Jesus often told his disciples to do not fear or do not be afraid or fear not. Scriptures to resist fear are found throughout the word of God because fear is an enemy. Say fear is an enemy. You know, Job 3.25 says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. So one of the things you have to understand about fear, fear is an open door to the enemy. Through fear, Satan can bring into your life the things he desires. Just like faith can bring into your life the things God wants you to receive, fear can bring into your life the things Satan wants you to have. Fear is an enemy. Isaiah 54, 14 says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. Why? For you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Fear brings oppression. If you stay in fear, eventually you'll be oppressed. You know, growing up, I grew up in the house of faith. I grew up under the word of faith. And so I remember years ago hearing Brother Copeland say, people would say that, you know, a little fear is healthy for you. You know, growing up in faith, you think, that's crazy. Who would say something so spiritually dumb? Because when you just grow up knowing faith, someone teaching you fear just sounds stupid. And so I remember in middle school, I heard a teacher say that. I said, oh, you're the one Brother Copeland was talking about. You know, it sounds like, well, did you meet him? Did you know him personally? How did you know? Fear is not healthy. Fear is an enemy. Fear is an open door. How many of you hate having flies in your house? That it's just annoying. You may hunt for the fly. You may kill the fly. You may use your sandal, your shoe. You may throw some. And eventually, you may kill the fly. But if you leave every door open and every window open, guess what? You're going to get more flies. Some of you don't like what Satan is doing in your life, but you left the door open. You left the windows open. There's an old song that goes, shut the door, keep out the devil. Shut the door, put the devil in the night. Some of you know how to use your authority, and you booted out the devil, but you left the door open, so he came right back in. You can't tolerate fear. And what's worse, you can't pass fear down. Because we say, oh, yes, a little fear is healthy. That sounds crazy. Who would say that? But, but, but how do we teach our children? 
don't cross the street because I'm afraid they're going to be hit by a car. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why was that even necessary? We need to teach wisdom, not fear. No, don't cross the street. Look both ways. Cars come. This is wisdom. Not say I'm afraid you're going to be hit by a car. Wisdom. Because you're telling them I'm afraid you're going to hit that car and die. I actually been hit by a car. I was out running. They didn't see me. Hit me. The car had more damage than me. I've got angels. My dog got hit too. But I guess my angels kept him too. Except his bills were more expensive than mine. I'm like, what? So, are we teaching wisdom or fear? And see, so you say, you might not say that, you know, well, I wouldn't say that crossing the road. Well, let's talk about something else. You have daughters. I have three. Well, you know, when you grow up, they may not treat you right because you're a woman. You know, it's really dangerous to be a woman right now. You know, someone may do this, someone may harass you, someone may do this, someone may do that. You know, you need to be really cautious and careful and afraid and fearful because this could happen, this could happen, and then they may pass you over for a promotion because you're a woman, and then they may do this and not give you what you just do because you are a woman. We're not teaching wisdom, we're teaching fear. You can teach wisdom that, yeah, there are people in this world, they may not like you because you're a woman. They may try to discredit you because you're a woman. But remember, God lives on the inside of you. Remember, you have favor with God, man, and government. Remember, God will show you what to do. He'll lead you the ways to go. So it doesn't matter what comes against you, you win. Are we teaching wisdom and faith, or are we teaching fear? Are we teaching them how to cope with the bad things in this life, or are we teaching them how to overcome? Oh, well, you know, it's really dangerous to be black right now. Says who? Well, didn't you see the news report? Yeah, and? I'm black, and it's not dangerous for me. Are we teaching fear or wisdom? Because the thing is, fear will make things worse than they are. It opened doors for things to happen you were afraid about. That's what happened to Job's life. Job suffered the things he did because he was afraid. Satan said before, you read Job chapter 1, he says, I couldn't get to him because, God, you put a wall around him. There was a hedge of protection. That's where that phrase comes from around him. I couldn't get to him. Well, then how did Satan eventually get to him? Job, by his fear, took down, the, took down the wall brick by brick, brick by brick, brick by brick, and opened the door for Satan to come in. You need to watch the words of your mouth. What are you saying? What are you teaching your kids? So, oh, you got to be careful doing this because I'm afraid when you get older, you know, baby, you can't have kids if you do this. I'm afraid when you get older, you're going to lose your mind. Or I'm, you know, oh, I forgot something. I walked into the kitchen, and I forgot what I was going to get. Oh, I'm afraid I'm losing my mind. I'm so old. Dude, you're 22. <laughs> but we allow that fear in, and then you will lose your mind. Because you can have what you say. And fear is a force, just like faith is a force. You might say, well, I saw it on the news. You know, they don't make money telling good stuff. You tune in when something bad's going on. So what are you going to do? Keep putting bad things on. It gets your attention. People like drama. And see, I was a broadcast journalism major, so I majored in this. And so I watch, 
And I know when they don't know what they're saying anymore. When they have run out of things to say, but they still have to fill in more time before the commercial break. Because I'll tune us out, yeah, y'all don't have any extra news. I'll check back in three hours. Watch what you're feeding on. See, the thing is, if you can't handle bad reports from the news, stop watching. If you can't handle it, turn it off. If you don't know how to speak back, turn it off. Take off those notifications from your phone. So it's flu season, talk back. They say recession's coming, talk back. Stop being afraid of everything. We're not called to be the fearful. We're called to be overcomers. And being afraid is not an acceptable excuse with Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Fear is an enemy. Fear is an enemy. We teach our kids wisdom, not fear. You can let them know about things going on in the world, but you don't say it from a standpoint of fear. You say it from the standpoint of faith and that we're overcomers. You know, there's certain conversations you have to have with sons in general, but also there's certain conversations I had growing up as a young black man. But it was never from the standpoint of fear. It was the standpoint, this is what goes on, but you're gonna beat it. And as you go forward, you'll make it better for those who come behind you. So I was taught in a way, make it better for those who come behind you. So I was never told somebody's going to stop you. What, what, what are we passing down? Oh, you're limited because you're a woman. You're limited because you're a millennial. You're limited because you're generation Z. You're limited because you're black, white, immigrant, not immigrant. You're limited because you're Mexican. You're what are we teaching? See, Satan, if he can't make you backslide, will seek to contain you. Don't help him by teaching your kids containment. Teach contentment, not containment. We're overcomers. We're the triumphant church. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Teach that. Teach you're on the winning side. Doesn't matter what comes against you, you're going to win. Doesn't matter what they say on the news, you're going to win. Doesn't matter what the doctor says, you're going to win. Raise them with the mentality of a champion, not someone inferior. You need to stop making our kids paranoid. They're already dealing with enough. Our kids today fight greater spiritual battles than any kids in history. So you have to handle the fear, because some of them are afraid of going to school because of the news reports, because of the evil things Satan is doing. Because the thing is, mass shooters, oh, they, they diagnose them on, they say, well, this psychologist said this, and those things may be true. But there's also things called demons. And you can't counsel out a demon, and you can't medicate a demon. But the thing is, this is the world we live in right now. And Paul said the end of the times where we live in, it will be dangerous, or in King James, it will be perilous. So although there's danger out there, we teach our kids to be fear-free. 
So no, you don't have to be afraid of going to school. The blood of Jesus covers you. You've got angels. You're protected. You live under Psalms 91 protection. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's what you tell them. Every day before you, they leave the house, you put your hands on I plead the blood of Jesus on you. You're going out and you're coming back to me safe, unharmed, unhindered, unharassed. The blood covers you. It's time to actually believe the Bible. And then after you do that in your prayer time, you need to plead the blood of Jesus over your kid's school. You need to take your place in the spirit. You need to take your place in the authority of the name of Jesus. And I bind every spirit of terrorism. I bind terrorism domestic and foreign. I bind school shootings and theater shootings and mass shootings and church shootings and mass stabbings and drug trafficking and sex trafficking. I bind the spirit behind it. I commission the hand of the Lord upon you and I cause it to fail. And Father, I pray for those who are in authority, the agencies, the officers, expose these things to them. Make it open. Make it known. Help the officers. Fight for them, with them, and assist them and stop these people and bring them to justice expose it Jesus that's how you have to pray for your kids school because you can make all the laws you want to but you can't legalize out a demon you can take away every weapon but if that person is possessed they'll find a way so you can make every law I'm not into the politics of well, well should we have more restrictions here more more common sense legislation I'm not talking about that let the talking heads run their mouths all day because that's what they do. They can't stop the demons, but you can. See, the church, of living, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only group on earth that has access to heaven's assistance anytime they want it. The U.S. government can't stop a demon. All of our military power cannot stop a baby demon. But if the church actually starts acting like the church and just says, no, 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 you can't come into my neighborhood, no. See, we have to learn how to expand our authority from just our house and start affecting the next house. Faith is great when you learn to work it for you, but it's even better when you learn to work it for somebody else. You have to use your authority, but if you're always afraid, you won't use your authority. You'll get punked by the devil for the rest of your life. You need to use your authority. Hebrews 2.14, that's where we're going. For much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy. That word destroy means to render idle, unemployed, inoperative. Him that had the power or the force, might, and dominion of death, that is, the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The word deliver means to release or set free. The fear of death is the master fear. So imagine this way. There's a chain with many different chains. The big chain, the strongest chain, is the fear of death. And the fear of death, the master fear, is the master fear that Satan uses to enslave the world. So think about this. People who are afraid of heights, you're not really afraid of heights. You're afraid of falling and dying. People who are afraid of water, you're not afraid of water. You're afraid of sinking and drowning and dying. It's the fear of death that's behind it. 
So well, I'm afraid of not having a job. Well, let's take that a little bit further. You're not just afraid of not having a job because some of you don't want to work in the first place. <laughs> You're not afraid of not having a job. <laughs> You're afraid of not having money. And if you don't have the money, you don't have a place to live. And so you're exposed to the elements and you die. Or you're afraid not have enough money to eat or drink and then you dehydrate and you starve and you die. So the root of a lot of fear is death. Even people who are afraid of bugs. Now you may not like bugs, I actually don't like bugs. It's different not liking it and being afraid of it. See, my wife doesn't like bugs, so she makes me kill them all. And because, you know, I'm unique, if you know me personally, you know I'm just an interesting person. And so when she says, hey, can you go kill this bug? I'm like, well, what happened to all your Beyonce songs? Who won the world? Girls, can you kill the bug? And then I go and kill the bug. But <laughs> there's a difference not liking something and being afraid of something. So, but when you're afraid of things, the root behind it is you think somehow it's going to kill you. So through the fear of death, Satan enslaves the world. And some of the things people are afraid of are actually, when you look into the light of the scriptures, it is really, really silly. Say, I remember this friend I went on a mission trip with, and there was a group of us, and I'm telling you, she could cast out devils like it was nothing. She'd just be casting out devils, just dealing with it, just dealing. One time I jumped and said, ooh, can I do it? Because, you know, you've been having all the fun casting out devils. I want to cast out a few. She had it like it's nothing. She got outside and saw a dog and was scared because there's a lot of stray dogs that ran around in that city we're in. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You just cast out 35 demons, but you're scared of Fido? But when we look at things in the light of the scripture, anything we're afraid of is actually really silly. When you consider who lives on the inside of you. Jesus came to render Satan unemployed so that he can no longer hold you as a slave to fear. Fear is an enemy. Fear is an open door to Satan. Fear is a chain. Go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Let's take it a little bit further. Fear is not healthy for you. It's also interesting how whole families can be afraid of the same thing. That's because you pass down the fear. So you pass down the spirits of fear with it. You see, you know, one of the things when I hear Jeremy Pearson preach about growing up in the house of faith, some of his stories kind of remind me of some of my own. Because I said I grew up in the word of faith. I grew up in faith. And so, you know, in the, growing up in the house of faith, you're not allowed to cuss, but you weren't allowed to talk fear either. You know, I didn't know. I think I told my parents, we were like, well, what was worse, cussing or saying, I'm afraid? I say, it's not, you know, growing up was kind of equal. See, my parents had the Charles Capps book in their purse or in their pocket growing up. They had the word with them everywhere. And so... When, you know, we were kids, and you know, those kids sometimes have nightmares. Sometimes they wake up afraid. Most kids do. But they didn't like, oh, it's okay. That was nothing. Just go back to bed or, y'all stay in here. That's not how they handled it. So they would wake up with us, and they would turn on. Some days it might be salty. Now, some of you who are newer to the kingdom, if you grew up in the house of faith, you may remember this giant blue singing psalm book. And he would sing these songs of praise. 
And so there will be some days they will have us watch that. And they said, don't just watch it. Sing those words. Get the word in your spirit right now. Sing it with them. What do they teach us? Fight fear. Fear is not allowed. Beat it. There's other songs by Carmen, a guy named Carmen. And he had one song called No Monster. And it was talking about how kids can handle the spirit of fear. And so what were we doing? We were speaking the word to fear so that we grow up without fear. That we grow up with faith. See, it's very simple when it comes to fear, if you hand me my prop. It's very simple. And this is a very simple prop to help you get the very simple point. When it comes to fear, stop it. Don't allow it. Not a little bit. Not an inch. Stop it. Stop fear in its tracks. So when it comes to fear, what do you need to do? When it comes to fear, what do you need to do? And especially, we have to watch out for our kids in October. Because in Halloween, what are they doing? They're celebrating fear. So you, you already pay attention to everything watch, but you're doubly paying attention. Because it could seem like a normal TV show, but all of a sudden, something crazy pops up. Like, no, we don't do this. You know, we watch, you know, our kids, our apps. A lot of them don't watch TV. They watch the iPad or their phone or whatever. And so you watch the app. You know, I saw one app that my kid likes to watch, like to watch and then the Halloween thing kept on. I'm like, oh, I'll be so glad when this month is over. And so there were certain episodes, nope, you're not watching that. And now she's three, so she can say with me, we don't do Halloween. We don't do that. We don't do ghosts. We don't do witches. We don't do warlocks. We don't do goblins. We don't do demons. No, we don't do that. No, that's not us. We don't do fear. We resist the fear. We don't allow the fear. Because fear is not a friend. It's an enemy. Fear is a chain. Fear is an open door. And you need to be free from fear. Now let me show you something else about fear. Revelation 21 verse 8. But the fear for what? The who? Some of you read the scripture already, so you kind of mumbled on that. So what does it say again? It said, but the who? And the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Who's the first group? The fearful. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of any group that burns forever. Atlanta is hot enough for me. I've been to the Middle East. I've lived in Texas. Atlanta's hot enough for me. I don't want to be with any group that burns forever. So I don't want to keep company with a group that is going to burn forever. Now you might think, well, why would Jesus start out with the fearful? Another way that is translated is the cowardly. Why? There are some people who won't choose Jesus because they're cowards. They're fearful. They'd rather stay in their life of sin. They'd rather stay with the devil than make a stand and be brave for Jesus. So they know the truth, but they stay full of fear. And so because they choose to hang out with the devil, they end up with him. I don't want to be a part of any group that burns forever. You know, I'm tanned enough. I'm good. Fear. 
fear is an enemy. Let's go to Romans 8. Fear is not something you play with. Something you handle. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and the children that heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. So when you are born again, you receive the Spirit of God. You receive the Holy Spirit living on the inside. Now, there is something after salvation called the baptism of the Holy Ghost where it comes upon you. But when you're born again, you receive the Spirit of God on the inside. And Paul points out you didn't receive the spirit of bondage or the spirit of slavery to fear. So before you were saved, you had with you the spirit of slavery that attached you to fear. Everybody who's not saved has that spirit of fear operating somewhere in their life to keep them chained. He says, but you didn't receive that spirit when you were born again. You received the spirit of adoption. See, one of the things about adoption, what does it mean? You were chosen. You were picked. So Paul says, you didn't receive a spirit of fear. You received a spirit that says, hey, I was chosen by God. Hey, I've been picked by God. Hey, God loved me so much, he picked me. So think about it this way. On your worst day, when you're acting a hot mess, and you know better, but you're so in your feelings like a Drake song, you're choosing to do the wrong thing. You're choosing to go the wrong way. You know all these bad things, and still you kept making the bad decisions. And he still chose you on your worst day. On your worst day, Jesus is like, I choose you, Pikachu. I'm still with you. On your worst day, he picked you. That's the spirit of adoption. I've been picked by God. I've been chosen by God. I've been loved by God. He loves me as much as he loved Jesus. He picked me. That's what I receive. The Holy Spirit reminds me on the inside, I've been picked by God. I've been called by God. I've been invited by God. I've been chosen by God. God has a path for my life. God has a purpose for my life. God has a plan for my life. And he bears witness on the inside. I am a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Notice it didn't say sub-heir. Joint heir. So if Jesus gets it, I get it. Isaiah 53 and 54 says he'll divide his portion with the great. That's you. He'll divide his portion with the strong. That's you. Why? You're a joint heir with Jesus. Christianity is not about you getting what you deserve. It's about you getting what Jesus deserves. That because he was faithful to, and obedient to death. And Jesus said, the Father loves me because I'm bad enough to lay down my life and bad enough to pick it back up again. So they couldn't kill him until Jesus was ready. So I laid down my life and I got back up. And all those rewards Jesus gets, he said, 
I'm going to share with my brothers and sisters. See, you should read through the book of Hebrews sometimes because it says in the book of Hebrews, it says what God said to raise Jesus from the dead, but also says some things Jesus says about you. It says Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. That he stands before God and says, that's my little brother. He stands before God and says, that's my little sister. You might think, well, I've done so many bad things. But in the mind of Jesus, he's not ashamed of you. He said, Pastor, you don't know what it is. No, no, no. He is not ashamed of you. Why? He bore your shame. If Jesus bore it, you should resist it. He's not ashamed of you. You make a stand for him, he makes a stand for you. So stop being ashamed of yourself. Because when it's between you, God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and the angels, they ain't ashamed of you, so stop being ashamed of yourself. Live free. Shame is a chain. It doesn't belong to you, Christian. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've received the spirit of adoption. God's not ashamed of his children. Sometimes you have believers behaving badly. And as a result, they sold some bad seeds and they get the harvest they sowed. But have you ever noticed you can still come to God and say, God, I blew it. Please forgive me. And you're like, well, how can I do it if I blew it so big? See, although you may have messed up your fellowship with God, your interaction with him, you didn't change your standing. God has declared you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you are born again, you were made righteous. You will never be more righteous or less righteous than you are right now. Nothing you can do can change your standing. No matter if you fast for a whole year, and during that fast you talk in tongues every moment of the day, you even snore in tongues while you sleep. It's not going to make you more righteous. Nothing you can do can change your standing. Even if you acted a hot mess and you ended up on the news and we all saw you like, ooh, did they really do that with the We Are Faith shirt on? <laughs> and now we have to expand a jail ministry to come see you. <laughs> you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing you can do can change your standing. That's why when you blow it, you can still come to God. Because you have standing. See, the thing is, not everybody can stand in the court of a king, but other royalty can. Other royalty can sit in the place of a king. And you have a seat at the right hand. So the thing is, when you come into God's presence, you don't have to fall down saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. No, you screaming you're unworthy is an insult to the blood of Jesus. The blood has made you worthy. The blood has dealt with the shame. The blood has dealt with the sin. The blood has dealt with the iniquity. The blood has dealt with the transgression. The blood has dealt with it all. So don't you come before God saying you're unworthy. The blood has made you worthy. We already know you don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace, unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. I just believed it and I received it. So stop being afraid that God is looking to judge you. 
He's looking to bless you. He's looking to love you. You have to understand God punished Jesus so he would never have to punish you. Now, there are going to be people who are going to be punished in this life, but it's not because God wants them punished. It's just because they told God, no, I don't want what Jesus offers. But God is, is not interested in punishing you. You know, in Hebrew, the word for mercy is hased. And one of the ways you can define it is God's covenant determination to bless you. God is determined to bless you. God wants you blessed more than you want to be blessed. And so the thing is, you might say, well, why is the blessing delayed? Because you ain't even doing what you're supposed to do. But God has been doing everything he could to try to get the blessing to you. You think about all your random days when you're not acting right, but all of a sudden the right word happens to come across your email or your text message on your Facebook. You happen to flip the channel and the preacher's saying exactly what you need. God is doing everything. He had to, even if he had to schedule this message to show up on this day in 2019 and do all these things to make you look in the right place, he did everything because he wants to bless you. He loves you. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. So why be afraid of anything? Because anytime you choose and pick fear, it's because you don't believe how much he loves you. Because anytime you're saying, I'm not going to do what God wants me to because I'm afraid, you just said, I believe that thing has more power to harm me than God has ability to protect me. That's why 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect, mature, complete, full love, cast out, evicts, flushes out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect, mature, complete, or grown up in love. You must develop faith in God's love for you. You must begin to believe that God really loves you. John 17, 23 lets us know that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. So you need to talk about it every day. You need to say it every day. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. You need to rehearse it. You need to go over scriptures about the love of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to listen to message preached to you about how much God loves you. Go over it again and again. Then you begin to sing songs about how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. You sing that song, but you can even go back to Jesus loves me, this I know. So go, pastor, that's a kitty song, but you need that revelation from the kitty song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. So he's like, well, why do Pastor Karen Lady always say Jesus loves us? Because you got to get it. He loves you. If you want to conquer at the end of the world, you have to know he loves you. If you want to know how to survive at the end of all things, know he loves you. And believing that love pushes out the fear. Not just the fruit of the fear, but the root of the fear. He loves you. He loves you. You used to say that all the day. God loves me. 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 You may run into a situation that says, you know, I don't know all the details how it's going to turn out, but I know it's going to turn out good because he loves me. You may be new into standing on the word. It's like, well, I don't know what scripture stand on. I don't even know how to stand on the scripture to say he loves me. Well, how do you know God's going to do it for you? He loves me. 
He loves me. Then take a little bit further. I'm his favorite. He said, Pastor, we're all his favorite. I know, but still you need to say, I'm God's favorites. See, my wife would mess with me. He said, when you say that, you make it sound like no one else is. I said, no, they are too, but I just know it. I'm God's favorite. What does that mean to me? He is prone to show me favor. That when I pray, God is looking to hear my voice. God is looking to hear my song. God is looking for me to show up and speak words of faith in his presence. I'm his favorite. He loves me. And I notice the more I say I'm God's favorite, the more confidence I have. When I face situations in life, because I've been talking about how much he loves me, how much I'm favored of his. So it doesn't matter what comes against me, I win. Doesn't matter the mountain, I win. Doesn't matter the giant, I win. Doesn't matter the diagnosis, I win. Doesn't matter what they say, I win. Doesn't matter what people lie about, I win. He loves me, period. That's how you have to talk. That's what you have to believe. It will push out the fear. It will evict the fear. See, 2 Timothy 1, 6 is, Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear or the spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or of self-control. So know this as we begin to close. Having faith or believing is an act of the will. Having faith or believing is an act of the will. Choosing to fear or be afraid is also an act of the will. So after you develop faith in the love of God, it's now your choice. To be afraid is your choice. To act in faith is your choice. Will you be afraid or will you believe God? See, Numbers 13, a few weeks ago, we saw how fear and insecurities kept the children of Israel from entering into the promised land. What has fear kept you from? What has fear denied you when you decided to stay in fear? What have you missed out on? What promise from God have you missed? What manifestation of goodness have you missed? What miracle, what breakthrough, what hope-filled expectation coming to pass have you missed because you've been afraid? See, the parable in Matthew 25, 25 lets us know that fear will keep you from using your God-given talents and fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Fear will keep you from going forward down God's path. You have to be like the Psalm 112 man. Verse 7 says, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees desire upon his enemies. You need to fix and establish your heart in trusting in God. See, the more you spend time receiving scriptures about the love of God and talking about the love of God and growing in your relationship with them and growing in faith, when evil tidings come, because they come to everybody, you won't be afraid. John Osteen, Pastor Joel Osteen's father used to say, if you would put the word in your heart when you don't need it, it'll come out your mouth when you do need it. So you keep putting the word in your heart now, you may not be facing a major trouble. You know, it's, it's don't stand for healing when you get a cancer diagnosis. Stand for healing when there's nothing. Stand for healing when the doctor says you're in complete health. Build your faith in healing now before you even have a challenge. So when the cha if a challenge shows up, nah, I'm good. Well, Pastor, what if a challenge never shows up? Use your faith for somebody else. You should go over one healing scripture every day. Just like you would take vitamins every day, take a healing scripture every day. You know, I have my favorite healing scripture. Pick your favorite healing scripture. Look it in the scripture, say it out loud, and say, yep, that's mine. 
Take a healing scripture every single day like you take vitamins. Why? So every single day you're building your faith for healing. And if you somehow get something, go over some more healing scripture. See, the word is the only medicine that you can't overdose on. And Proverbs 4 calls it medicine or health to your flesh. So go over the scriptures. You know, if I'm finding something, there were times I was telling the first experience a couple years ago, I had contracted some version of the flu when we had a couple years ago. It was a really bad uh, strain of it going around. And so somehow I caught it, but I didn't realize I caught it. It didn't make sense to me I had the flu because I don't get the flu. That just doesn't make sense to me. And so after Wednesday night, I went home. I wasn't feeling well, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to stay in the other room and sleep out here because I don't want to be contagious. I don't want y'all catching anything. So I'm just going to stay here and listen to the word all night. So I started with um, a healing message from Sister Gloria Copeland. It was a healing service thing. It was about two hours, so I started it. You know, anytime, you know, sick or, you know, you have a fever, sometimes you come in and out of sleep. And so I'd wake up and go, oh, look, hey, it's Brother Coburn. Oh, hey, it's Bishop. Hey, what's up? Hey, Unc. Oh, Andrew Woman. What I'm doing, the word's going in all night. You might say, well, how bad did it get? You know, I, I remember there were sometimes I was trying to walk across the room, but walking a few steps a little bit too much. So I had this rolling chair, and I kind of rolled myself to the refrigerator. And I rolled back. And I remember one time I was walking, I said, like, ooh, I'm about to faint. I need to hold on something. Now, it just hadn't clicked. Normally, I would have gone to the doctor, told my wife, it just hadn't clicked to you yet. But you know what? Less than 48 hours, it was all gone. And I said, you can't beat the flu in 48 hours. Well, I guess you can. Now, I'm not telling you to don't take medicine and don't go to the doctor. I am a Pentecostal who believes in healing. I lay hands on the sick multiple times. The gifts of healing operate in this church. But I also believe in taking medicine because God put it on the earth for a reason. There's different ways God will heal you. So don't be afraid of having a surgery. If you need to have a surgery, have a surgery. God can heal you through doctors. Thank God for doctors. Because if it wasn't for doctors, a lot of the church would be dead already. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for medicine. Thank God for vitamins. See, this lifestyle of faith is not denying that medical science has anything to offer. The lifestyle of faith is God wants me healthy. God wants me healed. He has many ways he can do it. He can do it supernaturally. He can do it through laying on of hands. But because I believe or I have this lifestyle of faith where it concerns healing, that means not only do I stand on healing scriptures, that means I'm going to eat right. That if I really want to be healthy, that means I probably shouldn't have french fries every day. Or queso-covered burritos. So I lived in Texas for four and a half years, and those burritos got me. So I got to Texas a lot skinnier than I kind of, after a couple years, became. Because when I got to Texas, they said, oh, you're too skinny. We've got to change that. I'm like, why would you say that to me? <laughs> but after those burritos got to me, you know, I began to you know, enlarge my territory. <laughs> and I had to cut it back seriously. Like, I would come to the office with these burritos. And what did they call them? Uh, it was that Freebirds. You saw those burritos I used to eat. She's a witness to it. And they were monster size. And the thing is, what size is the monster size burrito? Yeah, about this big. And it was filled to overflowing because I believe in overflow. <laughs> and I'd eat all of it in one sitting. And then I'd get dinner later. So you know that enlarged my territory. 
So I had to cut back on it. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. Now, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.